Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons Podcast. I'm his son, Matthew, and we have been splitting up the sermons every other week at our house church that my wife and I host on our farm. If you're interested in joining us, check out wrightfarmhousechurch.com. Enjoy today's lesson. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 14, says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. We live in a changing and challenging world. The the turmoil that's going on in our country and throughout the world, can it can be deeply troubling. We have seen just in the last few years seismic shifts in what our culture accepts, and legitimizes and prioritizes and promotes. Uh, the mainstream news loves to, to promote, or as they call it, they, they, they call it report on violence. They love to denigrate our, our Constitution and our God, our guns and our Bibles. They love to report on things that, in our view, can seem so senseless and so evil and seem to happen with, they seem to happen with growing regularity. Uh, and we hear about turmoil with race and fear and distrust in our social discourse. Um, there is historic, seemingly historic disillusionment with election, election integrity in our nation. And people are really upset about the options that they have with our political leaders. And we know that Christianity and religion in general is denigrated and looked down upon. The news would have us believe it is fading in popularity. Um, There is hostility towards Christians unlike at any other time in our nation, and it has devolved into name-calling, and and at a minimum, name-calling and and persecution on the other end. And so what do we do about all of that? How does that make us feel? Uh, One of our instincts is to sort of write off the world uh, and say, this place is just getting worse and worse, and maybe I could just hole up somewhere and avoid it all. And that's tempting. But we need to remember something important. We are called to be salt of the earth and a light to the world. We are called to have an impact on the people around us and not to withdraw ourselves. We can't write off the world. We can't withdraw. Uh, Look at what Peter says in, in, in verse 15 of chapter 3. But in your hearts... Honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. 
Peter is saying there are efforts we need to make to be proactive in a changing world, a world that is very similar to the world Peter lived in, uh, a world where there is uh, or there was hostility and turmoil and, and there was political problems uh, and, and social problems and racial problems. And Peter says, you be ready to act, be proactive and reach out to that world. But what if what if the world sees Christians who are uncertain and paralyzed by the same fears that they have? What if they see us with that? We saw this with church leaders everywhere the past few years. They acted no differently than the world. They hunkered down and hid and fretted and feared. They were no different than the world. What impact can we hope to have on the world if we act like that? So let's talk about how can we be proactive in the way Peter calls us to be proactive, reaching out and influencing the people in our world toward God. First Peter is a book written uh, to people who were engaging in a world that was threatening them. Uh, the horizon in Peter's world only showed more trouble and more trials and more difficulties but he still advocates for us to act in an amazing way. In order to engage the world that we live in, we need to prepare our hearts. Uh, Jesus, in John chapter 4, he talks when he talks about the world, Jesus says, the fields are white for harvest. When Jesus looks at the world, he sees opportunity. It's not just a world where everything is going to pieces and the wheels are falling off. We need a perspective that says, I want to be a part of that harvest. But before we can do that, we need to deal with our own anxieties. We need to be able to quiet the fear within us. Uh, let's look back at what First Peter says, or Peter says in First Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 13. He says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So Peter, he is referring back to a passage in Isaiah chapter 8 here, verse 13, where, where Isaiah says, don't be afraid of what they are afraid of, but you fear the Lord. Let him be your dread. Let him be your fear. Peter says the same thing. Don't be afraid like the world is afraid. Instead, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Let him be the one who you truly fear and respect. We look around and, and see people afraid in our time, people who are afraid of other people, afraid of what people are, are going to do. What if people are, are disgruntled? What if people have radical beliefs? What if people are angry at me because of the color of my skin. And Peter says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But we keep asking, what is the world going to come to as immorality seems to increase and be legitimized and, and applauded? What's gonna to happen to my children and what's gonna to happen to my grandchildren? And Peter says, do not fear them, nor be troubled. And we as Christians look in the face of a changing world and say, I am not afraid. I am a child 
of an all-powerful God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 9, he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are a a people chosen by God, his holy nation, his special people. We are a children of God. And then in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, he says, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. If you call on God as father, then we need to understand he is the father. He is the one to fear and you live honoring him, not being afraid of people. This is a time for courage. And like Peter, we understand that there are real threats to you and me, uh, real threats to our families and to our faith. And Peter's not saying none of that is real. It's not what he's saying. Peter understood that Christians were going to suffer and perhaps they were even going to die for their faith. We need to be prepared to understand that, that we need to be able to, uh, to understand that as well. We need to be able to, to be living a life that shows I really do fear God more than I fear people. What can man do to me that matters? These hardships make us say, do I really believe what I say I believe? Am I going to live God's way in the real world with real problems and real issues and real threats? And if I'm going to engage the world, I've got to settle all of that in my own heart. I've got to deal with those anxieties and say, I trust God more than I want to be afraid. But preparing my heart also means I need to be ready with a clean conscience. I need to be living the way I should. First uh, Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11 here, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And then in verse 15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And then in in chapter 3, verse 16, he says, Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. There is a danger that we can become so focused on what's going on in other places and what's going on on the TV, if you watch it, what people are saying about about this and that, what's going on on Facebook and Tweet Twerp and, and, and other communist-controlled social medias. And we're, and, and we're looking around, all around at, at everything else, and we, keep, we forget to keep our own porch clean. Have you ever heard that saying? We're forgetting to keep our own porch clean when we do that. We can't engage the world effectively if there are beams in our eyes. It won't work. Peter is telling us that people are looking for a reason. They're looking for a reason to discount us and discredit us. And don't give it to them. Don't give people opportunities to to not have to listen to the gospel message.
prepare your heart by living the way that you should. That does not mean that you've got to be perfect before you ha- before you can ever talk to anyone about the gospel. That's not it. What Jesus means when he talks about the beam and the speck in our eyes is, is that there are real issues in your moral life that you are ignoring and wishing away and not addressing and not dealing with. If that's the case, there is no way you can engage the world effectively for Christ. It'll be the first thing that comes up. Prepare your heart by keeping your consciences clean. And I need to prepare my heart by rekindling my hope. Here in in 1 Peter 3 again, verse 15, he says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Um, Peter is envisioning an organic kind of conversation that comes up naturally as people see me in the way that I live, and they begin to ask questions. They want to know, why are you doing this? What are you about? Uh, what are you What are you looking forward to? What is your hope? Why are you living this way? People want to know because I am in touch with the hope that that I have. And the question is, what really is our hope? What is our hope about racial tension and terrorism and depravity and evil governments? What are our hopes about that? Do we really honestly hope and expect that those things are are all just going to go away? Where there will never again be any more problems or racial tensions or leadership issues in our country? Is that our hope? I don't think anybody honestly expects that. And, And if they do then surely they know that those problems will be replaced by other problems later on. And my hope does not rest in the resolution of every issue here on earth. My hope rests in a God who has promised eternal life through his son. About the hope that Peter references in in verse 15, there is a sense in which that hope is objective. It is something that we all strive toward and that there is a promise of eternal life in Christ. But there is another sense in which it is subjective. That means it is the hope that is in me and it is mine and I articulate it. I articulate that hope maybe in a different way than you might articulate it. There are reasons a scripture appeals to me that are probably different than the reasons that they appeal to you. And what Peter is saying, you be ready. Be prepared to articulate that hope that drives you. And that takes thought and it takes thinking to, and it takes time in the word. Um, It's going to take preparation. He doesn't give us steps one through three to memorize, and it be a rote, R-O-T-E, be rote and bland because it's the same thing from every Christian. It is not simply the same verses or a simple generic Bible study. This is something that you and I need to be able to articulate, uh, to say, and that takes and it takes preparation before we ever get into these conversations. Can I tell people why I have hope? Can I tell people why I'm not afraid? 
Can I tell people what gives me joy in times like these? We need to be ready and we need to prepare our hearts. The next thing we need to do is that we must engage the world. At this stage, there has to be effort made. Verse 15, but in your, of chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, but in your hearts, honor the Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Peter's talking about a time when people are engaged with us. They are seeing and asking and listening. There is a dialogue because we are reaching out and we are living before them. We are answering and responding and we're ready. And Peter's saying just because there are problems in the world doesn't mean that I can't influence anybody. The devil would have us believe that nobody's interested anymore because things just keep getting worse and worse, that nobody cares about spiritual things these days, and and, and that's wrong. Um, Peter says there are still opportunities, and, and we've got to be ready to seize them. And by definition, we don't know when those opportunities are going to come. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever missed one like I have, an opportunity? Have you ever walked away from a conversation and said, I should have said that? Maybe even two or three days later, I should have said that. And when we're not prepared to engage the world, those opportunities are going to come unexpectedly, and we're, going, and we're not going to realize that this is our chance. Uh, manners. Manners are also discussed here. In, in, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 15, again, he says, Yet do it with gentleness and respect. There's a right way and a wrong way to engage the world. There are ways that, that we can do that that will push them away faster than anything else. If we are harsh or we are ugly, it will drive them away. Do it with gentleness, he says, and respect And it's not that we compromise in some way or fail to stand up for what Jesus taught. That's not the issue. Gentleness and respect are about our tone and our manner. When I engage the world, I need to learn to be gentle. We also need to have some understanding of the times in which we live and and people among whom we live around. Uh, And this is important. We, We need to be able to listen to people. To stop the voice in my head as that person is talking that says, I've got to be ready to answer this. Listen and suspend judgment for a moment so so that you can really hear what a person is saying. We need to hear what's really going on in this person's question. Maybe even get to know them a little bit to give context to the question. So that I can respond in a way that's actually going to work, I need to be able to articulate Christian thinking in a Christian manner. That's the idea of engaging the world. We can look at these times as times just to be survived in and hide ourselves and our families in a cabin in the woods. Or we can look at them as opportunities to reach out to people. There are, there are people right now who are deeply distressed and afraid. There are people who are very angry. Um, there are people who are depressed and upset. But, but these days, but people these days 
are less complacent than they were a couple years ago. And that's good because now we can show them, here's the real answer to all the problems. It's Jesus Christ. Are we ready to engage that way? A word of caution about engaging the world. Peter says, be ready to give a reason, a defense for the hope that is in you. This is about our hope. This is not about politics. It is not about defending a certain political position or a social argument. It is not about our pet theories about the world. We waste a lot of our influence by arguing about things that aren't really the issue. When we do that, people just, they kind of tune out and say, well, everything he has is just a hot opinion. Just a hot opinion about everything, you know. This is about hope that, it's about a hope and what really matters. This is about Jesus and how Jesus changes the world and the way we look at it. What I love about Christianity is that it is an all-volunteer force. Nobody's ever forced to be a Christian, and the Bible doesn't support that at all about being forced. There have always been people who are who will, willingly give their lives to Jesus. They put their faith in Him. And I don't agree with a method that would force people in the name of religion to kill others or force them into it. Do you see what's happened when we have that conversation? Now we're not just talking about politics. We're, we're talking about Jesus. When, when somebody talks about race, it's the New Testament that teaches us that all people are the same before God. It's the New Testament that teaches us in God's eyes, there is no partiality. And whatever nation someone is from, whoever, whoever works righteousness is pleasing to him. It is the New Testament that says we are all one in Christ Jesus. That's Christianity. Um, all of them, you know, are, this, are they're the same before God. I'm going to do the best I can to live up to the Christian principles I espouse in my relationships with people. And, and when there is turmoil in the world because of race and war and disease, we'll never fully solve, we'll never fully solve that. But I know that someday it's not going to matter because someday we're going to live with God eternally. And we all matter the same now and then. Do you see what we've done with that conversation? We've moved from what is politics and, and which side are you on to talking about God and Christ. When Jesus tells me things about eternal life and Jesus tells me things about moral life, I believe him even if I don't understand it all. I can't answer all the questions about it. But when, when Jesus has challenged me personally, about moral things in my life, and when I trusted him, and and I just did it, he was absolutely right, and it transformed my life. You see what we've done? We've moved toward Jesus. That's that's what I mean when when I talk about engaging the world to find a way to get around those pitfalls where people are going to they're going to want to talk about the physical side of life. And, and we need to make sure we, we talk about, the, we take them to the spiritual side of life, where the spiritual side is. Making sure we take them to where we're thinking about and, and discussing the God who makes all of this chaos make sense. So as we engage the world, we need to trust God. It seems like when I engage people in the world, there is a high followed by a low. 
um, the high is how excited I am um, that we got to have that conversation and maybe something good is going to come out of it. And, and then the low is when you don't see anything happen. Uh, there comes a time when we have to remember God is the one at work and God's going to take this and give the increase when he sees fit and we have to learn to trust him. Going back to first Peter uh, chapter, uh, I'm, I'm going I'm to read chapter three here before I read this one. Oh, this right there. Okay. Chapter three, um, verse 16, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame for it is better to suffer for doing good. If that should be God's will than for doing evil. And then in chapter four, verse four, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Malign is to speak evil against someone. Uh, he says to expect that people are going to respond poorly to you. Expect it. They are going to oppose you and argue with you and, and say ugly things about you. And we don't like that. We, we often forget that Peter says that's, that's the reality, guys. There's a strong possibility uh, that more formal kinds of persecution are coming for us Christians. We're certainly not headed in the direction of being more sympathetic toward Christian views in this nation. And, and while that may be a reality, I must trust God in the face of that. Possible persecution is not what's, what's going to determine my behavior. Uh, whether people respond in a good way is not going to stop me from engaging them on behalf of Christ. I need to trust God and that he is going to take care of me in whatever way that works out in his eyes. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 6, it says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There is something else that helps me trust God, and that is the fact that God will use the things that are happening and that he has a plan. The scripture, This scripture here says that that after I've been tested, there is praise and honor and glory that results for him. I grow and I am strengthened that I am proven. I am shown to be genuine because there is some difficulty that I have to go through. And this is an easy, an easy process. But to know that there is a plan, that there is someone at work, that helps me. It helps me to trust God even when I don't understand everything. And I think the best summary comes in verse 19 of chapter 4. He says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We don't quit doing good even if we suffer for it. We trust God and we put ourselves in God's hands. We entrust our souls to him. He's going to take care of what needs to be taken care of. If there's wrongs uh, done to us that need to be righted, God will take care of that. If there are problems that need to be fixed and God decides it's time, 
God will take care of that. I don't have to do it all. I don't have to solve all the problems. I don't have to fix everything. All I have to do is trust that God is going to use my efforts in a way that honors him. And so I do. I go out into the world and I live as best I can to honor him. And, and others, they, they see that and they ask questions and I engage them and I'm thoughtful about why I do what I do and how I can reach people. I spend and I am spent for their souls. When all that is done, I say, Father, take that and use it in the way you see fit. And then the process, it begins again. I trust God and I begin to prepare my heart again. Then I engage the world again and then I trust again and on and on it goes as we engage a changing world. And to sum it all up, we must be proactive in reaching the world. We cannot be victims of the times in which we live. We need courage to rise above it and to engage. Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. God bless you and have a wonderful week.